You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I'm going to invite you to the book of Ruth tonight. The book of Ruth to chapter number one. And uh, what a wonderful story we have here in this book, the book of Ruth. And I want to give you some things that I think maybe will help you tonight and encourage you. Uh, We all are familiar with that verse, Romans 8, 28, where it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What a blessing we you know, to, to know that we serve a God who is able to take whatever comes in our life and make good. I get concerned about that verse because I do believe people to have a false take on it. I believe there are those that have the idea that whatever comes in my life, God made that happen. God made that happen. So, you know, um, if I have good things that come into my life, God put them there. If I have bad things in my life, God put them there. If I broke my leg, well, thank you, Lord, you had a reason. I've heard people say stuff like that. I really believe that that verse is teaching that no matter what comes into our life, our God is so great, he can take even the bad things and take the good things and work together and make good for those who love God By the way, what's the test of loving God? It's obeying. If you love me, keep my commandments. To them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. And and so it's a wonderful thing to know that our God can take disappointments and trials and hardships and even our sinful mistakes and bring good from them. And we're going to look at a story Uh, where we see God. In fact, the book of Ruth is really a story of God taking something that's bad and doing something wonderful and marvelous. It begins as a very sad story, and uh, but it doesn't stay there. And, uh, you know, the story, it's interesting, has two main points of disobedience to the law of God and the evil that comes as a result. By the way, evil is the consequence of sin, The evil that comes as a result of that disobedience. But it's also the story of God doing something amazingly with what is there. Out of the disobedience, out of the sadness, God showed what he always is. He's a God of amazing grace and and a God of unlimited mercy. And we're going to look at the uh, story of Ruth. But basically, we're looking at the story of Naomi tonight, all right? The story of Naomi tonight. And to be honest, it's really only because of disobedience that we even meet the lady called Ruth. And uh, she's not a Jew, she's a Moabite. But right here in the history of Israel, that's interesting, isn't it? Is a book that bears the name of a Moabite. And uh, the Jews are God's chosen people. But even in the Old Testament, God made it clear he's interested in the Gentiles, which I thank the Lord. God, the way of salvation was not just for the Jews. It was of the Jews, but it was for all of us, and I'm thankful. We sang that song, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Have we ever gotten over the fact that he would take somebody like you and me and save us and do something with our lives? It's pretty amazing. So we're going to consider tonight 
Naomi's story and, and find out that Naomi started judging God in light of her experiences. The things that were happening in her life caused her to have a take about God that wasn't true. She started seeing what was happening in her life and she just decided some things about God that really were not true. We need to be careful about defining God in light of our experiences. I'm going to ask you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. We'll read the first five verses of this book and then a few other verses in chapter 1 to get us started here this evening. Ruth, beginning, Ruth 1, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of, their two, of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. This is, this is a sad story. You look down at verse 13, at the end of that verse, you begin to realize that Naomi is starting to judge God in light of her experiences. She says there, nay, my daughters. She, 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 I meant to kind of give you the story. She decides when she hears that there's food back in Bethlehem that she's going to move back there. And so she is going to convince her two daughters-in-law to stay there in Moab. And so she says there in verse 13, Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Of course, you'll remember that Orpah went back and Ruth, what a lady Ruth was. Ruth said, there's just no way. You're talking to the hand. I'm staying with you. And she just had that spirit and that attitude. We get to verse 19, and they arrive back, Naomi and Ruth, into Bethlehem. And they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full... And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. It's amazing, isn't it, that we will get to the point where we start defining God in light of our experiences. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity to preach, and I thank you for this church, God, and its testimony. God, continue to use them, and God, help us to reach 
the lost with the gospel. Help us tonight in the service, Lord. God, we need to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're introduced here to Elimelech. Elimelech's name means God is king. Well, I think that all of us as Christians realize that's the way we're supposed to live. God is supposed to be our king. It's a good name. And Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. By the way, he is right now king of kings and lord of lords. He is the king. That's who we're supposed to be serving. We're his subjects. We're supposed to be declaring the terms of surrender to the rest of the world to the king of kings and lord of lords. Elimelech had a wife named Naomi. You know what her name means? My delight. My delight. You know, you think about dads. And that daughter of yours was born. It's like she is. It was for me. She was and is and still remains my delight. It's an amazing name and things that he would call her that. All right. A gift from God. Our children are a gift from God. God blessed these two in their marriage with two sons. Malon and Chilion. I looked up the meanings of their names and it kind of like, what? Malon means, listen to this, it'll move you. His name means sick. Not sick the way they use it today. All right, but I mean sick. And, uh, you know, Chilion's name means pining or wasting away. Now, I kind of wonder, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm putting something out there that, that I have no proof for whatsoever. But I kind of wonder if maybe Elimelech was a sickly man and God blessed him with children anyway, so he's kind of just maybe, you know, giving honor to God for even though he's, you know, sickly and wasting away that God's giving him children. I don't know, I could be wrong with that. Just kind of interesting that you would give your kids names like that. What we read in verses 1 through 5 covers really a, not a real long period of time, maybe a little over 10 years, but it's amazing how things had changed in 10 years. First, Naomi was left and her two sons. It says that in verse 3. I'm sure there's some ladies here tonight that understand the impact of that statement and she was left with her two sons. We uh, just recently in our church, I had a man who was, my best friend, really, kind of in the church and had been my associate and was our school principal and thing. God just suddenly took him home one day and, and stuff. And you kind of watch his wife going through those things. It's amazing, isn't it? So that, there's an impact with that verse that we ought to understand. She was left and her two sons. But then, but then it says, the Bible says, she was left of her two sons and her husband in verse 5. Wow. That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough stuff. And, uh, and so God was still in control. But there is a danger when things are not going well for us to start assuming some things about God that may or may not be true. And I think that's what was going on here. She was defining God in light of her own personal experiences. About 11 years ago, I had surgery. I'd never had major surgery before. And so I was maybe a little bit apprehensive. I knew it was the right thing for me to do. I knew it needed to be done, but I was a little apprehensive. I'd never had surgery before. And you know, you think, you hear these stories of, hey, they put them out and they never woke up. 
I thought, you know, I could be one of that, those people, you know, and stuff. You know, you think of stuff like that before, you know, you go into, I wasn't overly afraid or anything like that, but, you know, you think of those things. And so I, I had the surgery, and uh, they removed some things, they cut some things out and did, you know, and, and stuff. And so uh, I remember I'm in ICU that night, and my wife had been there and she had left. She was waiting till they'd give me the medicine to put me to sleep. But I'd gone to sleep and I woke up and I'm sitting there. I'm kind of looking around and it kind of dawns on me. I lived. <laughs> and to be honest with you, because of the drugs and the epidural, I thought, I'm not going to tell anybody this, but this surgery stuff's pretty easy. <laughs> I was feeling good <laughs> and, 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 and my thoughts went like this I'm alive I don't hurt God's good <laughs> I'll get back to the story in a little while but anyway the story of Ruth took place during the time of the judges more than likely at the end of that time it's kind of interesting to think about the book of Judges ends with stories about Israel, about idolatry and sexual abuse. Not a very pretty picture of the people of God. And even though it was a horrible time, it's good a reminder that God was still at work. As has been said, he was still doing his, you know, working in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. It would have been wrong to think that God was not at work at a time like that, and it's wrong for us. To think that God is not work, not at work at a time like this. God is still God. He is still good. He is still powerful. He is still holy. He's still the answer for the United States of America. We still have a job to do. We still represent him here on this earth. It seems like we could easily understand then, understanding the history of what was going on at this time, why maybe God would have allowed a famine to come into Israel. For the most part, they were rebelling against God. And as the people of God always do, when we rebel, rebel against God, we'll pay a price for that. Paying a price for their rebellion. And, uh, and so, I just want to remind you, there is a great price to pay for rebelling against God. I don't know who you think you are, that you have the right to challenge Almighty God. But I'm just telling you, there's a price to pay. Go ahead, walk that path, and you'll see that one day what the preacher was right. There's a path to pay for, price to pay for following the path of rebellion. It makes it really diff difficult and dangerous to define God in light of our own personal experiences. I'm, I'm blessed. I've never lived in a time of famine. You can look at me and say, yeah, it's pretty obvious. You've not done that. And uh, I know last year some of the necessities of life were a little bit spare, you know, uh, uh, missing in some of our stores and things like that, some of the weirdest things. But anyway, and uh, you know, hey, hey, we're, we're, we're in a pandemic. We got to have toilet paper. I mean, that's, you know, we're going to run out of toilet paper. Can't have that. Anyway, if you're the one, I'm just, you know, why? I don't know. But anyway, and, uh, but I don't know what I would do if as a father I saw my family starving, starving maybe to death. 
Especially if I knew that in another part of the world I could take my family there and they would have food. Yet in retrospect, it seems like Elimelech did the wrong thing. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. God, despite what he did, despite the mistakes that were made, God was gracious. God is always gracious. God is always merciful. And so we want to kind of consider this, if you will, tonight. First of all, I want to remind you and point out to you again, there's two big mistakes, in my opinion, that happened in the story here of Naomi. The first mistake was Elimelech moving his family to Moab. Now, I don't question his love for his family. I'm sure he loved his wife. I'm sure he loved his sons. He probably felt very blessed to have them. And I'm sure, I'm sure when he considered the prospect of this continued family and the uh, famine and, and the opportunity to move his family uh, to a place where there was food, that his love for his family had a big influence on his decision. And I'm pretty sure that the move then was something he did out of love for his family. He may have thought it was the best thing for his family. But here's the mistake. The best thing any man can do for his family is to trust and obey God. Is to trust and obey God. Here, here's, here's one of the mistakes we make as fathers, as husbands. We start thinking that we're the providers, that we're the saviors, that we're the protectors of our families and forget that's not our role. Our role is to trust God and lead our families in following Almighty God. We're not their Savior. There is only one Savior, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. A man who trusts and obeys the Lord does the best job of providing for his family. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. It doesn't say unless you're the husband or father. Lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. What Elimelech did in moving to Moab, I believe, was wrong. God wanted Israel to be separate from the Moabites. In Deuteronomy 23, it says this, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. They shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor uh, and Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. God said they're not supposed to seek their prosperity forever. And somebody's going to say, well, there were times in the Bible when there was a famine and God allowed people to move. It is true. But God always did it by warning. God intervened and told them. That didn't happen here with Elimelech as far as we can tell. I believe one of the big mistakes of the book is to move to Moab in this time of famine. Can I remind you of something we know about the Lord it's good to remind ourselves in it, isn't about the things of the Lord. In Psalm 37, beginning in verse 16, Psalm 37, beginning in verse 16, says this, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. The arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth 
the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright and the inheritance and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in evil time and the days of famine they uh, in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. That's what God said. So here's some principles. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Wow. What would you rather have? A little uh, uh, you know in the righteousness of God or the riches of many wicked. Let's just think about what we're going after. I mean, kind of of think about that. It also says the Lord upholdeth the righteous. He sustains them. He supports them. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright. See, there's nothing going on in our life that God doesn't know and understand. Even in difficult times, and they will come like the famine, God said the righteous will be satisfied. That word means to be have enough, to be full. So doesn't it really, if you think about it, these verses teach us that no matter what's going on, we can trust the Lord. The right thing to do in any situation is to trust and obey God. Now some, some wise you know, Bible student's going to come along and say, Preacher, you just read the Psalms. The story's back in the book of Ruth. The Psalms hadn't been written yet. Well, do you think that God waited till the Psalms to start being good and take care of the righteous? You know, God only expressed to us what people before that had already found out about God, that God takes care of things. God hasn't changed. He's always been the same. God's the same. So you see, in my opinion, fleeing to Moab was a mistake. Be careful in your life that you don't find the prosperity of worldliness or the prospect of an easier life persuading you to disobey God. Be careful. The second great mistake in the book of Ruth was the marrying of Moabitish women. The marrying of Moabitish women. God said the Moabites were not to come into the congregation. I read that verse. See, Moab had a history of warring against Israel and even worse. In Numbers chapter 25, it says, beginning there in verse 1, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. These wives, these These men, these sons of Naomi, for wives, took worshipers of false gods. We know that because in verse 15 here in Ruth chapter 1, it says, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, and unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. In chapter 2, uh, Boaz will say to Ruth that, you know, that, you know, that she's come to, from the land of her nativity, and she's come to trust under the God of Israel. They, they were false worshipers. So you know, Naomi allowed her sons or married off her sons to Moabitish women. So we believe it was a mistake to move to Moab. It was a mistake to have her sons marry these Moabitish women. Unfortunately, we should remember this, that our choices have consequences. We might pose the question, would her husband and sons live longer if they had stayed in Israel? 
I think it's a decent question. And my answer to that is, I have no idea. I don't know. Only God would know the answer to that. But the point I want you to see is, these mistakes, and here's where I kind of want you to begin to focus, these mistakes created a situation where the God of judgment could also show he's a God of mercy. I'm not going to spend all my time trying to figure out what would have happened if they hadn't moved there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at what happened and see what God did and realize that, you know what happened? In, in the mistakes that they made, they created a situation for God to show, well, he's God. And the nature of our God, that he is merciful and gracious. You know, God can indeed take bad things and make good out of them. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph said to his brothers after his dad died, they came, you're going you're gonna to probably kill us. <laughs> he said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So his brothers meant evil unto Joseph, but God meant it for good. The word meant is translated in our Bibles also as the word devise or purpose. God, something man meant or man purposed for evil, God well, he redevised and he replanned it for good. And so that which was done wrong in the story of Naomi, the story of the book of Ruth, provided an opportunity for God to bring good out of it. Now be careful, God didn't will, God didn't will this to happen. I get tired of these people that just decide whatever happens was God's will. God didn't will it to happen, but thank God he can bring good out of it. Amen. And I'm so thankful for it. We don't know if the, the deaths of Elimelech and Malon and Chilion were the result of the judgment of God or just the course of life. I don't know. I, I, I don't really know. I don't have that answer. We could assume, but assumptions without verification are, are really not of value. We can't build doctrine off those things. Naomi believed God had dealt bitterly with her. That's what she said. She even wanted to change her name. Her name meant my delight. She don't, don't call me my delight. Call me Mara or bitter. She believed that in the death of her husband and her two sons that God had dealt very bitterly with her. There might be somebody in here tonight that has the idea that God did something. Something happened in your life, very sad, very hurtful, that God dealt very bitterly with you. But you better be careful about judging God in the light of your experiences. No matter what happens in life, we should never forget this great truth. God is good. Amen. God is good. You know what? If we suffer the judgment of God, God's still good. If we suffer the consequences of a sin-cursed earth, and we do, God is still good. God Amen. is still good. It is his nature. Do we need more proof than, we, than what we would find here in the book of Ruth? It's an amazing, wonderful story. Consider with me the lies then that Naomi told about God. She, like I say, she got to the place where she was looking at God through the lens of her own personal experiences and she got a false idea of God. 
So we're going to consider maybe some lies that she told, all right? By the way, just again, let me recant this, recall the story for you. Uh, I believe they lived there uh, in, in uh, Moab for a few years. Her husband died. And, and so maybe about that time, it was her sons were old enough to get married, and she thought this would be a way of helping them, maybe comforting them after the death of their father, and she got her two sons married off. Malon's wife was Ruth, and Chilion's wife was Orpah. They got married. And so that's how Ruth came into the story, right? Through a mistake, through disobedience. But before either of those women would have children... The two brothers died. It almost makes it sound like to me, and I could be very wrong on this, that they both died at the same time. Maybe an accident, a crime, a pandemic. I don't know. We just don't know. Naomi is left alone. No husband and no sons and living in a foreign country. So in her bitterness... You better be careful about that root of bitterness in your life. Boy, it'll not only trouble you, but it'll trouble many others. It's amazing how many independent fundamental Baptist churches have been hurt by somebody who won't deal with that own root of bitterness in their life. And maybe it's because they were judging God in light of their experiences. This is what we, she said. We already read this. She said, God's hand was gone out against her. It grieveth me much, she said to her daughters-in-law, for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Her take was that this was the judgment of God up on her. She believed that her grief and sorrow was a result of God being against her, using his hand, his strength to trouble her. We're only in chapter 1. When you get to the rest of the story, you cannot help when you get to the end of the book of Ruth and say, God's hand wasn't against her. God's hand was with her. God's hand was with her. And, uh, you know, be careful about seeing bad things in your life right now as God's hand being against you. Unless, hang on, time out. Unless it is, unless you know right now that things are going on in your life are a result of God judging you for being in sin. I mean, when God whips his children, we know we're whipped. And we know why we're whipped, right? We know why we're whipped. On the other hand, there's a lot of things that happen in life that don't have a direct connection to some sin that we've committed. And if we're not careful, we start thinking the hand of God is against me. God's, God's calling back the sins of my youth. God's doing it. And, and, you know, it's just as wrong as it can be to judge God that way. It's amazing. Be careful about seeing the bad things in your life right now as that the hand of God is against you. She said in verse 20, God hath dealt bitterly with me. Call me not Naomi, call me Mara for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. It's like she calls the God, the God who has all power, has dealt very bitterly with me. It's an interesting word, bitter. There was a substance discovered by accident uh, in 1958. It's called bitrix. It's known as the most bitter 
substance in the world, even in the book, uh, Guinness's book of world records. See, they take it and they use it now and they add it to household, garden, and automotive products. So that if your child or an animal tastes it or puts it in their mouth, they'll immediately spit it out. Now, I'm, I'm hoping for the day when they come up with a hybrid that cats can't detect. No, anyway, anyway so, but, <laughs> sorry, anyway, just me. And so it is known as the most bitter thing that there is. And that's kind of like she's saying, the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. You ever tried to eat something and it's supposed to be sweet and somebody forgot to put the sugar in it? It's horrible sometimes, the things. And you know what? That's sometimes how we think God is with us. God's dealt very bitterly with me. He's just made everything so unsweet and so horrible. Can't even, you know, deal with these things. Frankly, her portrait of God is all wrong. Despite what's going on, God's still taking care of her. God's still taking care of her. Isn't it amazing that we think that because we have this relationship with God, nothing bad should ever happen in our lives. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that. In fact, there's all these stories in the Bible to let you know that's simply not true. I know that prosperity, you know, preacher, he's telling you, man, if you get saved every, and give me money, everything in your life will be wonderful. Sometimes we present the gospel that way, and it's simply not true. What the gospel does is it gets you right with God. It gets you out of hell. I mean, let's be honest about what the gospel does, and it's wonderful, and it puts you in the position that one day you're going to go home where there is no more of these things, totally out of the presence of sin. We long for that day, but we're still here. I used to have a professor in Bible college that said, you know, everybody wants to sing about the sweet by and by, but we live in the nasty now and now. And it is true. God is still the same, though, no matter what the time is. She said this, the Lord brought her home again empty. I went out full, she said, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. <laughs> wow. Simply not true. I'd have liked to have been able to know the whole story and been there when Naomi said, I went out full. And I came home empty and say, um, who's that? What do you mean, who's that? Who's that lady with you? Uh, well, it's my daughter-in-law, Ruth. Thought you went out empty. I thought, I mean, I thought you came home empty. Here's, here's Ruth. She couldn't even see in her life. She was so caught up in thinking God had dealt bitterly with her, she hadn't even seen the jewel God had placed in her life. She hadn't even seen the precious thing. And I'm telling you, when you get bitter, you can't see the good things in your life that God has put there. The avenue of blessing for her life was this woman by the name of Ruth. The rest of the story proves her assessment of God is all wrong at this time. 
all wrong. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense at this point for her to have this attitude against God because she doesn't know the rest of the story. The story isn't over. And by the way, nothing in the story changes who God is. God, the God of chapter 1 is the God of chapter 4. Man, if you could get anything out of the message tonight and you would understand what I'm talking about when I say the God of chapter 1 is the God of chapter 4, that would be really good for your life. Because you may be in chapter 1, but if you'll trust God and you'll put your dependence on him, hey, chapter 4 will come. I don't know how God will do it, but God, see, Romans 8, 28 is true. He's able to take anything that happens in your life as long as you continue to trust him and bring good from it. May it be what you want? No. She didn't get her husband back. She didn't get her sons back. But God was still very, very good to her. If our story is sad and heartbreaking, God's still good. God's still good. I was thinking about two months ago when our assistant pastor, Rod Burkle, passed away, man. I'm telling you, that was a sad day. He was our school principal. He was home because he was sick. And I get this call. I'm teaching a class. I'm in a side room and me and my son and my daughter-in-law are talking about how we're going to plan things because he's been really sick, how we're going to get through the end of the school year. And we talked about, well, if he's sick enough and he can't start the beginning of next year, what are we going to do? And we were talking about some of those things, and I get the call that he died. Man, it was sad. I was brokenhearted. And then I remembered his daughter is teaching a class. And she's already found out before I did that her daddy passed away. She's in class. <laughs> so I said, we got to get up there and get her out of class. And so we went up there and she's trying to teach a class. <laughs> uh-huh. you just think about the image of that. She's just found out her dad died suddenly with, you know, and, and things. And she's trying to teach a class. And we went in and said, Robin, you know, come on, <laughs> get to see you home and things. You know, just, you just think about some of the things that we go through. It's sad. I know there's some stories here that are probably far worse than that. My point is, we're going to go through those things. We're going to have some of those things, but God, the God of chapter 1, is the God of chapter 4. And he doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change who he is. It's just the way God is. We need to be careful of our spirit and our attitude towards God when bad things happen. First of all, you don't know the rest of the story yet. In the book of Ruth, Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, is going to end up marrying a kin of her husband, Elimelech. She's going to marry this guy, and God's going to bless them with a child. Ruth is going to have that grandson in a different way. 
It's kind of interesting. That kinsman redeemer, if you will, she's going to have a grandson. And she did. And it was, I mean, she got to raise it as her grandson. Who, by the way, he was the grandson of Naomi. Turned out to be the grandfather of King David. In fact, Ruth is in the Messianic line. If you read the book of Matthew chapter 1, you find Ruth the Moabite there. I'm telling you, Naomi, you're in chapter 1. You want to say, wait a minute, stop. You don't know the rest of the story. Have you ever been watching a movie and it seems like all of a sudden the movie's just about to be over and you look at the watch and say, oh man, I only do that with you know, Hallmark movies. But oh man, there's got to be another hour to this thing. That's a bummer. Ready for it to be open anyway. You know that something's going to change and the story will get better or something will happen. You know, it's all good and something bad's going to happen or it's all bad and something good's going to happen. Here we are in our lives, you know. It doesn't matter what's going on. We know that there's going to be the end of the story. We just don't know. We need to have that spirit that Job had. Naked came, out of my, came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey, you know what, child of God? We should be in such habit of praising and blessing the name of God that no matter what happens, it doesn't change that. That we still, no matter what's going on, hey, God's still God. He's still good. He's still in control. He still knows what he's doing. And he's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. So there I was in that ICU that night, thinking, I survived. And it's like in my mind, I go, God, you're good. And I almost kind of felt like God was frowning down on me all of a sudden. And almost as quickly as I thought, God was good. God helped me to understand, if I had died, he would have still been good. <laughs> it's like, I, really, I had a moment there in that ICU. You time with God. And I had to stop and say, you know what, God, you are good no matter what. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what happens with me. You're always good. God did a work in my heart that night. That and the all the drugs. <laughs> no, anyway, it was God. I promise. God was doing something there. It's amazing. Wrong for me to look at my experience. And say that God was good because things were good with me at that point. And it was wrong for Naomi to say that God had been bad to her when she was looking at the bad things of her life. Because nothing happened to change the fact that God is good. Psalm 106 verse 1. Praise you the Lord. Oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. And there's one other thing I want you to see, and I'll be done. Just because someone is sinned doesn't mean they have no value to God. <laughs> there's probably some of us even here tonight. Somewhere along the line, we've messed up. We start thinking, we let the devil kind of make us think we have no value to God. We've messed up. And things like that. But see, that's not true because I think in chapter 1, Naomi and her husband messed up. And there was a price to pay for that. But God wasn't done with her. 
God didn't set her aside and say, I have nothing to do with you. You know, God's in the business of dealing with sinners. And if he didn't want to deal with us, then there's some things he could have done. After we got saved, he could have just taken us home. <laughs> I don't want to mess with them. Just going to take them home. He could have done that. He could have made us perfect. He could have given us a new body right there when he saved us, but he didn't. He left us in this old flesh. My point is this. You may have messed up, but you know what? Get back up, get right with God, and keep trusting God. And, and watch and see if God can't bring a chapter four into your life. You say, well, you know, I'm getting older. You're not dead yet. The end of the story is not written. The end of the story is not written. You need to serve God. You need to get right with God. And you know what? Get your attitude right with God and watch what God can do with you. It's amazing what our God can do. Well, just let him. God wants to use you. God wants to bring good out of you. God wants to use you to bring people to the kingdom. We just need to get right. We need to get our attitudes right. We need to get rid of that bitterness. You know, we, we expect sometimes something to happen to extract the bitterness. But you know what? It, you have to do that with God. You got to get right with God. You got to confess and understand that it is sin. And when you confess it, then forsake it Amen. and move on. Some things were preached this morning. It's good. Hey, when something's, you know, not conducive to helping you to live the way you need to live, hey, you know what? Then go another path. Get away from those things that are bogging you down and realize God's good. Chapter ones are going to happen, but so are chapter fours. And thank the Lord for that. Where are you at tonight? Let's have our heads bowed. We'll prepare for our invitation here this evening. Father, I do thank you that God, even though in this life there are a lot of circumstances that we would define as chapter ones in our life you're still the same and there's no point in the hurt and the disappointments and the difficulties of our life where that ever changes it's wonderful God to know you're still the same and God, that you haven't forgotten about us. And you know the thoughts that you think towards us. And I'm thankful, God, that you are looking for us, God, and to bring about in our lives the chapter four. Help us tonight, Lord. God, not to judge you in light of our experiences, but to judge you in light of the truth. God, I thank you for revealing yourself to us in your precious word. Bless this invitation. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.